With near universal social media use by America's young people, these apps and sites introduce profound risk and mental health harms in ways we are only now beginning to fully understand. American Medical Association. Another quote, today's children and teens do not know a world without digital technology, but the digital world wasn't built with children's healthy mental development in mind. The American Academy of Pediatrics. The first principle of healthcare is to do no harm. That's the same standard we need to start holding social media platforms to. American Psychiatric Association. Welcome everyone to our August episode of Voices for Suicide Prevention. As we like to say, our conversations here are real talk, real honest, real life. And that's why we started this episode with those very real quotes. We are talking about social media addiction with a woman who is just beginning a new mission to organize and rally people to this issue across the country. Christine Venice has worked in public affairs her whole career and has a deep track record of launching organizations that stand the test of time. From a professional industry organization with now 65 chapters nationally to starting Ohio Women in Government 25 years ago, Chris is currently president of Capital Partnerships and a few months ago founded Families Against Social Media Addiction. Chris, welcome. Thank you so much. What spurred you to start an organization dedicated to social media addiction? I was at a conference last year where I was truly shocked at the mental health epidemic that is racing through our country and in particular our adolescents. Um, the call for leaders there to families to become empowered, to join forces in the absence of regulation was something that just spurred me on and I wondered if I could indeed help with organizing and empowering parents to help these kids with this mental health epidemic. And and Chris, what's the reaction from people when they hear about your organization, the reaction in the sense of, do they say, oh my goodness, we are so glad you are in this space? Because it seems like the resources for kids, parents, and families, it seems like those resources are kind of sparse. They are. And truly, parents are thrilled to hear what we're launching. They tell me time and time again, they cannot go it alone. These kids are under such incredible socialization pressure and pressure to be on that for one parent to hold up different norms is just impossible. The other thing they tell me is that they can't keep up with technology. These apps are constantly changing to become more and more dramatic, more engaging for kids. In fact, one mother told me um, a couple of weeks ago that it's like whack-a-mole. As soon as oh, they get a handle on it on an app or, a, or a, a pesky app has been removed at their insistence, something else pops up just like whack-a-mole. Well, yeah, and the rules for each of these platforms changes, you know, and, and what you post and how you post and why you post. It's always different depending on the platform. And we're definitely going to dig into that, but we have a lot to discuss today. So let's pick up with where you began, Chris, uh, with some baselines. First, what the science tells us, researchers say that social media usage can produce a brain response like gambling or recreational drug use. Plus, we know young people on social media are exposed to all kinds of things online and their brains aren't fully formed until the age of 25. What else does science tell us? Unfortunately, Cassie, science tells us that suicide rates are at an all-time high. That in fact, for teenage females, they have doubled from 2011 to 2021. And what, what the science tells us now is this, this dopamine rush to your point, that kids are getting from, from these addictive algorithms. So as, as these neural pathways are being changed, 
um, they're being changed in a, in a rapidly developing brain that, as you say, is not fully mature until 25. And as we all remember, but apart from social media, um, addictive behavior, risky analysis are all part of growing up. But now these risks and their, the, uh, um, the behavior that comes along with them are killing kids like uh, the the strangle challenge or the Benadryl challenge. But again, their brain is not at the maturity level to make a a, a mature risk um, risk assessment about what seems to be so tempting. We also have some other data out there. Forty six percent of teens say that they use social media constantly, and then addiction starts at about three hours of of use per day. So Chris, I have this question for you to that parent who says, oh, now wait a minute, my kid can't be addicted to social media. What do you say to that parent? I would say, be careful parent and monitor because research and science has shown us that um, the jump between three and a half hours of social media today to just five, so in an hour and a half, your risk for mental health damage doubles. We know that one in four teens is on social media for at least five hours a day. So there we're at the five-hour point. But we also know that one in seven are on for more than seven hours a day. And we know that two-thirds of kids uh, under the age of 13 say they've been exposed to hate-based content. I guess I'm just thinking about, too, like kids cannot escape these social pressures because they have them all day at school and then they go home and then they have it all night on their phone and there's no room for reprieve. And so when we talk about addiction, I mean, their entire lives are on these platforms. So, I mean, can you tell us just generally um, when addiction starts, uh, at what age can it happen? What does it look like? It can start at any age, and the earlier we're giving kids these access to social media platforms, uh, again, it's a function of time. So time on task, uh, again, we know at five hours um, is something is is a time point when parents really need to be um, be wary. And to your point, though, Cassie, also, I mean, the pressure of the world is on these kids because they're exposed not just to a few friends in, in a hall who, you know, bully them like we used to be bullied when we were growing up, but now they know that that cyberbullying can take place in front of the whole world. Um, and, and, and again, that's anxiety and depression that shouldn't have to be discerned by a, by a young developing brain. Well, and the bullying on social, that is absolutely wrapped into this. 40% of adolescents say they have been cyberbullied, and yet only 10% tell their parents about it. How, Chris, how do we address that? We start early with parents even before they're giving their kids any kind of device. And by the way, I would encourage parents to wait to give a sophisticated device to a to a, a, a young person. There are lots of wonderful healthy options out there, Scott, that connect parents to kids, connect them to their friends, to their grandparents, but do not open the world that is hard for them to discern of social media platforms to a to a to a nine year old. But back to your question. You start by talking, 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 early conversations. Interpret what you're doing to your kids. Mom just got a new friend on, um, 
on Instagram. Let me tell you how I determined that I wanted to befriend this person. Talk and talk and talk and serve as a role model to them. Um, remind them, there's a cute phrase to remind them that never, you should never put anything on social media that you wouldn't want your grandmother to read. And not only grandmother, right, but everything you put on there is out for, for a lifetime mm-hmm. and it cannot be taken back. And then one big important sentence is a reminder to families and kids to never use a phone as a weapon. Don't engage in hate speech, horrible Uh, horrible attacks. Let's dig into that a little bit more. So we know that when young people are abused and bullied online, that they're at a greater risk for self-harm and suicide. Uh, In fact, they're four times more likely to hurt themselves, which also drives up the risk of suicide. So can we just talk a little bit about what cyberbullying is, what it looks like? Because cyberbullying is so different, Cassie, than, again, the bullying that I grew up in the schoolyard is we'd make fun of someone and then the following day you'd apologize. Right. Cyberbullying now is relentless, it's hateful, it's insistent, and it leaves adolescents desperate with nowhere to go. And oftentimes they're so mortified to the statistic that you just quoted, Scott, they do not tell their parents. We know within six clicks, and that's part of the drive of the algorithms, right, to keep these kids online because we're garnering more and more information that we can then provide to our vendors who are going to pay us for that. But again, all those statistics about your kids um, are, are, are there forever. France, by the way, just passed a bill. It is not allowing parents to post pictures of kids under 18 because there's such a chance wow. of manipulation. Wow. Even when they're posting a, you know, a, a very innocent picture, mm-hmm. it can be unfortunately just turned into something awful for well, that kid. That's a whole other topic, right? What AI is doing in the social space. Wow. Yeah. AI is pinging, um, pinging kids now with, um, tempting purchases to, um, uh, garner information about who might be cyberbullying. So if they know they're getting a, 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 a hate message from someone on the basketball team, now AI is luring kids to pay for information about addresses. It's relentless on these, mm-hmm. these, these, these innocent kids. It's not a fair fight. Yeah, it's predatory. And well, so you mentioned France and there's stuff happening in the U.S. as well. So a couple months ago, the U.S. Surgeon General issued new guidelines on social media use and wrote a powerful op-ed and did some social media interviews, too, on this subject. Uh, Part of his release read this way. The Surgeon General is issuing a call for urgent action by policymakers, technology companies, researchers, families, and young people alike to gain a better understanding of the full impact of social media use, maximize the benefits, and minimize the harms of social media platforms, and create safer, healthier online environments to protect kids. Quote, the most common question parents ask me is, is social media safe for my kids? The answer is that we don't have enough evidence to say it's safe. And in fact, there is growing evidence that social media use is associated with harm to young people's mental health. And that was said by U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Berthi. Absolutely. P.S. at the end of that report, Cassie, he also said there is not enough significant findings for the Office of the Surgeon General to find that social media is safe for kids. Wow. Not enough data to prove its safety. And you met with him. Yeah, met with his office. Absolutely. What else did What else did his office tell you? They have helped us focus our goal, our 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 target, I should say, on parents of nine to thirteen year olds because they they have recommended that we start early. 
build those healthy habits even before you're going to give your kid the device and build family habits, a plan, again, talk, 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 so that you're not um, faced with dealing with an anxious or depressed 16-year-old who, again, has her whole life wrapped up in that cell phone. It's often too late. So if we can start early, um, advises the Office of the Surgeon General, um, they believe that that's, that's going to be the trick. And hold off um, at least until 13 to give your kids access to these platforms. Use an, an alternative device that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. We mentioned the U.S. Surgeon General. Let's stay in Washington, D.C., so to speak, and talk about what's happening politically because um, there are some Republicans and some Democrats coming together around this issue, Chris. And I know you're having meetings with Ohio representatives, Um, uh, both of our U.S. senators uh, from Ohio. What is happening politically that maybe, just maybe, we can get both sides talking about this very subject? It's It's very exciting at this point in time. Now, Scott, there's actually a huge bipartisan movement in Washington to pass what's called the Kids Online Safety Act. It just came out of the Senate Commerce Committee, and we hope that the Senate will um, will take it up in early September. And what it does is, is three things. First, it says to big tech, who, by the way, are, is not not regulated at all, you must design platforms knowing um age-appropriate platforms, because you know the age of your users, use uh, use your design capabilities to, to design safe platforms. Many more um, tools for parents and educators to, um, to get in and understand uh, how to control and what's happening on their children or their students' um, iPhones. And then back to the, the collection of data that never leaves the web, only request information for age-appropriate information mm-hmm. for that the young kid who's online. So you're going to get, you're going to ask for different information from a 17-year-old than you are from an eight-year-old who's going online. Those are three of the of the pretty important safety checks that are part um, part of this bipartisan piece of legislation. Are you optimistic that it passes? We are optimistic. Oh, that's good. You're finally good optimistic. News. Yes. That's wonderful. Well, we don't want to put the cart before the horse sure. because we were optimistic last year also <laughs> and the year before. Yeah. What has the response been like from the social media entities? You got Mark Zuckerberg saying anything about it? <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know what he's saying about no. it. Um, th- th- there, are, there are controls um, in many of these apps, but then, you know, Cassie, there there are these dark apps at the end of a of a, a traditional app, and there are ways around mm-hmm. lots of parental controls right now. Right. Well, at the end of the day, it's business, mm-hmm. you know, for them. So we have to have some sort of regulation. No guardrails. Un- un- unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Speaking of movement, you've built big things in your career, and you have goals to build Families Against Social Media Addiction into a national organization. So what's next in, uh, in that goal? Well, we'd love to spread uh, spread information about our campaign, highlighting um, to families, A, information, tips, facts, but then helping them see the, the power in numbers, how they can work together by harnessing a collective movement to keep their kids on social media, but safe for social media. That's, that's the first prong, Cassie. And then the second one is to activate their voices, to get them more involved in these huge debates. Uh, because right now, parents are, 
are pretty much excluded, except unfortunately for the parents who have lost lost kids, and they are they've been doing a great job of expressing concern. But mm-hmm. I really like to activate voices of these families across the country for safety. And Chris, I know you you've talked about you know getting a million signatures uh, for your safety pledge and and starting mul- a couple dozen chapters over the next five years. Are those still those still goals of yours? They are. So anybody <laughs> listening to this podcast and who would like to at least just just meet with us and uh, see what collaboration might be like with three or four friends or t- 10 moms and dads from a Girl Scout troop, we really think that that's going to change. That's going to change behavior, and we've been successful as a com- country changing, you know, mothers against drunk driving and our attitude toward tobacco. And again, in in lieu of these safety guardrails, parents and families, I'm confident, can do it together on behalf of kids because we just can't stand to have, you know, one in four teenagers attempting suicide. Mm-hmm. We've got to end it. How can people get in touch with you and your organization? Love to have them contact me at www.familiesunite.net, F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S-U-N-I-T-E.net. Love to hear from anybody. And one more thing before we sign off today, I just want to give a message to parents because I think that a lot of parents um, also kind of grew up with social media and didn't know what they were doing back then. And so certainly still don't have the tools now to to really take this on themselves in their homes, in their families. So, you know, I kind of, I want to pull the pressure off of them and let them know that if you are experiencing this, um, it's common and that, you know, resources are available and that it's not a lost cause. And, you know, if you're experiencing social media addiction yourself, um, it's probably going to be pretty hard to change that for you and your whole family. So Chris, do you kind of have any like final parting advice for families who are going through this right now? Work together, support one another. A- again, it's no one's fault. And to your mm-hmm. point, the parents are could be in a generation where they too grew up with social media and it's invisible. It's something that they can fight together for sure. Cassie, you bring up a great point and that this can be a unifying thing, right? Between parents and their kids, if the messaging is right and if the communication is right. I I have two kids now in their 20s and and certainly they roll their eyes at me all throughout their teens. But I can remember, you know, there were times when I got through to them. And most of those times looking back, I can remember I I got through to them because I probably talked a little less and listened a little bit more. Respect. Yeah. Mm, respect, yes. respect both parties, um, I think is very, very important because I've read that a lot of, of teens feel like their parents just get mad at them and they want to pull that phone away. And right. um, no, no, no. Yeah. That's like the worst thing. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, Check out Chris's website if you want to learn more. There is so much there for you and more to come. Uh, Chris, thank you for joining us for this episode. And to our listeners, thank you. When you listen to our episodes, you break stigmas, break barriers, and you care about mental health and saving lives. This is Voices for Suicide Prevention, brought to you by the Ohio Suicide Prevention Foundation. 